Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies! Here we are with episode number 32 of The Gangster. After this episode, only eight episodes remain in this book. Whew, getting down to the getting down to the nitty-gritty, y'all. We found a cache, a cache, a cache. I don't even know, I never know how to pronounce that damn word. C-A-C-H-E. A cache. Can we found a cache of GFL t-shirts that we missed in the warehouse? And those shirts are now up at scottsigler.com slash shop. This is the absolute last of our current inventory. If you don't see it on our site in your size, we ain't got it. We ain't going to get it for you. We are preparing to find a new way to sell stuff so that our beloved international customers don't have to pay through the nose for shipping. It's gotten to the point where shipping costs more than the product itself. That is untenable. We are looking for solutions to that. We will share more about our new solution prospects in the future. But overall, the international demand for our stuff, combined with skyrocketing postage and taxes, has forced us to rethink not only merch, but GFL book seven and eight hardcovers as well. Don't panic. You're going to get them. It's going to be okay. But times change, my friends. Times change. I am currently hard at work on GFL book seven's second draft. Have run into some troubles and have to go back and do some restructuring to the beginning. So I don't know when that will be done, but I can tell you there will not be a five-year wait between book six and seven as there was between book five and book six. But for now, let us focus on book six, which is this book, which is The Gangster. Let me get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go count some chickens. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin Killian and Aya endured a brutal brawl at the borehole and captured Greedock the Splithead. But that victory wouldn't have come without Virak the Mean betraying his Shamakath. Deep in the Kretorakian Empire, in Bat Country, Quentin and the others must leave the borehole behind and find a place to hide. Book 7. Metamorphosis. The Question of Loyalty. Quentin piloted the little ruler. It was built by the same company that built his own yacht, the Hypatia. The controls and cockpit layout felt familiar, perhaps too familiar, making Quentin wonder if he really was as different from Greedock as he thought. Two rich sentients, both obsessed with winning, both willing to do whatever it took to achieve their goals. He forced the thought away. He was nothing like Greedock. Nothing. The plan had worked, in a way, yet it had ended in tragedy. More sentience dead because of Quentin. He, Killian, and Beans had moved the bodies of Gristlehead, Ruang, the guard Carmago, and Chalita Sacacorn into cold storage on the Oleron. Where once there had been life, now there was only frozen flesh. 
the bodies would be disposed of along the way, launched into the blackness of space. An ignominious end for the prison physician. Quentin wanted to believe Sackacorn had known the risks involved, but he couldn't shake the guilt at her death. Killian had locked Greedock in a storeroom on the Oleron. Massal had chosen to stay on that ship, perhaps to be near Greedock, perhaps because the worker didn't hide his open animosity toward Quentin. Maybe it was a little bit of both. The worker still hadn't stopped shaking. He appeared to be as afraid of Quentin as he had been of Greedock. A friendship forever broken. Killian had refused to allow Virak onto the Oleron, which was why Quentin flew Greedock's yacht. Killian wasn't taking a chance that the dangerous warrior might change his mind again, try to break Greedock free. Leave him behind in a cell, Killian had said, but Quentin could not abandon his teammate. Quentin understood Killian's fear, although Virak, for now, certainly didn't seem dangerous. The warrior said nothing, barely acknowledged anyone's presence, alternating his time between his cabin and the little ruler's small rejuve tank. Quentin had confined Greedock's pilot, a Lee Key who went by the name of Blue Shell Eater, to her quarters and the crew galley for the duration of the trip. She had enough food and creature comforts to last a month, at least. Once the pilot learned that two of Greedock's retinue were dead, she seemed happy just to be alive. She'd promised to stay out of the way, even offered to help with anything the yacht needed during the trip. The desire to stay alive did wonders for shifting loyalties. Quentin was going to need some serious time in a rejuve tank. Concussion, broken teeth, broken nose, a chunk bitten out of his left calf. Before leaving the borehole, he hadn't had time to do anything other than slap on a few nanosite bandages. The tank would have to wait, though. His wounds weren't as bad as Virax. Or Aya's, for that matter. The woman had suffered a broken right clavicle, a cracked sternum, and two broken ribs. With how hard the heavy key had hit her, she'd gotten off easy. She was lucky to be alive. After putting Greedock in restraints, Killian, Zan, and Beans had operated with speed and efficiency, preparing for and executing departure from the borehole. Even Aya, despite her injuries, had methodically worked through a detailed list of tasks. It was obvious the Oleron's crew had done things like this before. They were a tight-knit team. Everyone worked fast, and no one complained. Beans and Zan had gone back into the corridors in the cell, applied a heavy chemical cleansing that would wipe out any and all biological residue left by Greedock, his bodyguards, or the Oleron crew. Aya had wiped the Trojan horse from the borehole's computers, erased any electronic record of the incident. It was like the Oleron had never been there at all. Her crew were ghosts, in and out quickly, leaving no trace. For Quentin, it wasn't that easy. He'd been arrested by the Kretorakian Ministry of Religion. He was a wanted man. His best shot at freedom was to record Greedock recanting his testimony, send that recording to Danny Lundy to pass on to lawyers, and hope for the best. Quentin might very well spend the rest of his life as a fugitive. How would he reconnect with Becca? He didn't know, but he'd find a way. By now, the cells containing borehole staff had opened. Those sentients would be regaining control over the facility, assessing the damage. One prisoner, Quentin, and two staff members, Sackacorn and Carmago, were unaccounted for. Sentients would assume Sackacorn had helped Quentin escape, which, in truth, 
she had. Zan had chosen another abandoned mine in which to hide. Aside from Big Rock, there were no gravitational wells near the borehole by which to anchor a punch, so the Oleron and the Little Ruler flew at relativistic speeds. Even though they were staying in the same asteroid field, the trip to Zan's target would take two standard days. Plenty of time to think. Quentin finished instructing the yacht's flight computer to follow the Oleron. From here until they reached the asteroid, unless they came across a Kretorakian ship, the little ruler would be on autopilot. He left the bridge. High one did his head hurt. Pain relief meds helped with his nose and mouth, but did little to alleviate the thick, throbbing agony that filled his head. He'd been in worse pain. He would survive. It was time to talk to Virak. Quentin found the warrior in the little ruler's small med bay, crammed into a rejuve tank not suited to his large dimensions. It figured. Greedock would have fit in the tank with room to spare. The leader cared about himself first and foremost. Always. Himself. You and I seem to spend a lot of time in these things, Quentin said. I hope it's helping with your injuries. The gel could heal Virac's cuts and scrapes. That chitin crack in his chest, though, and that bandaged, ragged stub of his missing middle arm finger would require a surgeon's care. Quentin glanced at his own missing pinky. He'd sacrificed it to stay in the game, to win a title. What had the warrior sacrificed his for? Hey, Virac, Quentin said. You feeling any better? Virac either ignored the questions or didn't hear them. The half-lidded, baseball-sized eye stared out at nothing. I have to know something, Quentin said. Why? Why did you do it? I'm staying right here until you talk to me. Virac didn't respond. Quentin waited. Five minutes went by. Then, ten. Quentin leaned against the wall. After fifteen awkward minutes, Virac finally spoke. I have been asking myself that same question, he said. I acted in the moment. I am not sure why I did what I did. Virac was one tough customer, a seasoned, hardened killer, yet in the warrior's voice, Quentin heard heartbreak. I'm sorry you had to shoot Ruang. I do not care about that one. He was nothing to me. Nor do I care about Gristlehead. What matters is that I... I betrayed my Shamakath. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice. 
a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Quentin had first met Byrak on the loading dock of the Combine when Greedock had come to collect his new rookies. At that time, and in the five years since, Virak the Mean had been as hard as battleship armor. Stoic, uncompromising, a machine of intensity and violence. Not any longer. Virak the Mean looked frail. Greedock wasn't worthy of your loyalty, Quentin said. You said that yourself. Virak dismissively waved a pedipalp hand, an all-too-human gesture. His worthiness is irrelevant. I gave my oath of fealty, then I broke it. I am now... uh, The human word that best corresponds is Ronin. That word, Ronin, to be without a master. A pejorative for the quith, as Orphan was in the purest nation, but a hundred times worse. For warriors and workers, and even most leaders, to have no allegiance to a dominant leader was the same thing as having no value. Quentin had learned that when Chodo had sworn fealty, when Quentin had become Chodo's Shamakath. Greedock the Splithead is a great leader, Virak said. I betrayed him. He's evil. Quentin didn't bother to hide his own anger. He manipulates everyone. He's a criminal. And worse than that, he is a coward. You saw how he acted when Sandoval attacked the touchback. Greedock sent you to die so he could run away. The warrior shifted in the too small rejuve tank. Some of the pink gel spilled over the side. Leaders are not expected to fight, he said. They must stay alive to provide for the group as a whole. Hokor fought. And Hokor died. Greedock is still alive. In the Quith tradition, underlings are expendable if their sacrifice keeps their Shamakath alive. Sometimes Quentin wondered if the word tradition was used simply as an excuse for aberrant behavior. Just because something was established didn't make it right. Growing up in the purest nation had taught him that. I followed Greedock my entire life, Virak said. He sired my brood, and— Greedock was your father? Virak seemed to have trouble processing that word. Technically, he was. But the Quith do not have the same concept of family that humans do. Each egg sac has a single leader that emerges dominant. When my egg sac split, Greedock killed the infant leader. Wait a minute, Quentin said. Not only was Greedock your father, he killed one of your brothers? Virak slid further into the tank making more gel slosh over the side to slowly crawl down the tank's sides. I am not in the mood to debate the differences between our species. What Greedock did, 
is common. The quith had the ability to mimic the tones of any species. Most were taught English or Mandarin in order to communicate with humans. Quith sounded human, but they were not. Infanticide, slavery, lack of free will. In some aspects, the quith way of life was utterly barbaric. I don't want to debate anything, Quinn said. I'm not judging you or your species. I want to understand why you turned on Greedock. Maybe if you keep talking about it, you will figure it out. Virak's eye flicked to Quentin, then stared straight ahead again. Talking is merely making air move, the warrior said. It accomplishes nothing. Quentin had felt the same way once, because he'd had no one to talk to. Then he joined the Krakens, met Yitzhak, Big Mike, John and Jew, Ma, even Masal. Sentience he could relate to, could share with. And now he had Becca, the one person he could share everything with. He missed her so much. You're wrong, Quentin said. Talking can help. You say you don't know why you turned on Greedock, but you did not make that decision only in the heat of the moment. Did you have doubts about your loyalty to Greedock before today? Another fast flick of the eye. Virak adjusted in the tank. He didn't sit up, exactly, but his slump became less pronounced. I have been Greedock's underling my entire life. He is a great leader, brilliant, strong, and decisive. I was proud to serve him and bask in his glories. I never questioned my role until... until you came back for me. A swirl of purple on his cornea. Quentin's selfless act to save Virak from Sandoval still confused the warrior. To Virak, that act was likely as alien as Quith infanticide was to Quentin. Some leaders, perhaps, would have tried to save a prized underling, Virak said. Most, though, would do exactly what Greedock did. They would have fled, sacrificed the underling in order to create a better chance to escape, to survive. That is normal. That is logical. What you did, Quentin, risking your own life to save mine when you had no obligation to me, it makes no sense. Another color joined the swirl of confused purple. A light red. Sometimes that meant appreciation, sometimes friendship. I was willing to die for Greedock, Virak said. That is a warrior's lot in life. But in the cell, when Greedock ordered me to cut your thumb off, I thought of Sandoval standing over me, holding Bobby Brope's gun. Had you not come back, Sandoval would have killed me. When I should have been obeying my Shamakath's orders without question, I was thinking of that moment. And I was thinking of football, of how we have twice been crowned champions. You, me, Montaigne, Chodo, John Tweedy, all the Krakens. You ask why I turned on Greedock? Because I had a moment of unforgivable weakness. Because when I should have been strong and loyal, I failed. So much self-hatred in those words. You did not fail, Quentin said. You did the right thing. A worthless sentiment. No, it's not. You turned on Greedock because, finally, you thought for yourself instead of letting him do your thinking for you. 
You made a choice, Virak, and I am grateful for it. The warrior slumped deeper into the tank's gel. Your gratitude does not erase my dishonor. What are you going to do with Greedock? How would Virak react if he knew what was to come? Would he change his mind, fight to protect the leader he had been protecting his entire life? Chodo hadn't reacted poorly, but then again, Chodo had pledged fealty to Quentin. And Chodo the Bright was not Virak the Mean. Virak would find out soon enough. Better to know now where the warrior stood. I'm going to give him gibblejuance. The warrior didn't react at first. Quentin stayed quiet, let him think. You will end his syndicate, the warrior said. Yet you will not kill him. I cannot decide if your tactic is utterly ruthless or pathetically soft. Quentin also didn't know which. I know this is complicated for you, Virak, but I could use your help. Again, the warrior fell silent. Quentin waited. If the Toltafine works, you realize that Nonquith cannot lay eyes upon the new queen. Massal cannot handle the necessary duties on his own. I will assist in protecting the new queen until she's placed in a proper support structure. Quentin didn't know what a proper support structure was. Maybe he should have read more of the books Purifor had provided. Thank you, he said. Do not thank me. I am not doing this for you. I am doing it because it is necessary. I give you my word that I will stay in this yacht until the cocoon forms. However, you have just witnessed how worthless my word is. If you were smart, you would take my life. Now. Yes, that was the smart thing to do. It had been the smart thing to do back at the borehole, and Quentin hadn't done it then, either. The warrior was still dangerous. Then yes, stay here until the cocoon forms, Quentin said. I won't kill you, but if you leave before I come to get you, my father will. Virak said nothing. Quentin took that as acceptance. When this is over, what will you do? I am Ronan, Quentin. I am worthless. If I must live without honor, then I prefer not to live at all. I will do what is required of an oathbreaker like me. After I have seen to the new queen's needs, I will perform Giris. Giris. Quith ritual suicide. Another tradition that Quentin had to accept? When George Starcher had been suicidal, when he tried to vent himself out of the touchback's landing bay, Quentin had risked his life to save the man. Quentin hadn't stood idly by then. He would not idly stand by now. Quentin and Virak had been at each other's throats since Quentin had joined the Krakens, their mutual animosity driven by being on opposite sides of Greedock's desires. Virak had been an enemy, yes, but also a teammate, a fellow champion. To see the warrior so desolate, was there a way to make him, well, maybe not happy, but at least give him purpose once again? Quentin thought back to the Hypatia galley, to what Shoto had said. You are what a leader is supposed to be. Many warriors would kill to prove their worth to you. Perhaps Quentin could use one quith tradition to stop another. You're Ronin, he said, but you don't have to be. The words hung in the air. 
Virac slowly sat up, gel creeping down his shoulders, along his cracked chest chitin. He turned his body. No brief flick of the eye this time, the warrior stared straight at Quentin. I do not like talking in circles, Virac said. Tell me what you mean. Quentin felt he was going to regret this, but there was no other choice. You say you have no honor. You're wrong. You saved my life because you have honor, because you repay your debts, because you do the right thing. That is the kind of follower I want. The only kind I want. Virac the Mean, I will be your Shamakath. Colors swirled on Virac's cornea. The yellow of nervous excitement, the dark red of surprise, the blackish red of unbridled hate. Your offer is significant, but I must decline. My betrayal is unforgivable. I am not worthy. Please leave me be. I will, Quentin said. But answer one more question for me. Greedock said one of his underlings followed up on Jonathan Sandoval's research about the schism meeting. Do you know who that was? Yes, Wakan Reed. The smiling man who had accompanied Massal to the Hypatia. Reed knows the truth about the schism, Virac said. As do I. You should kill us both, and Massal as well. Kill anyone who knows. That is what Greedock would have done. The warrior was offering advice. Quentin had seen him do that to Greedock, and every time Virac did, the leader shot him down. I don't want to kill anyone, Quentin said. Then it turns out you are pathetically soft after all. I will vacate the rejuve tank in an hour so you can tend to your wounds. Leave me be, Quentin. Leave me be. There was nothing else to say. For now. Quentin left the medbay, but he wasn't finished with Virac. Not by a long shot. The warrior needed a leader in order to find meaning in life? Well, that was just fine. To quote Greedock himself, an offer had been tendered. Quentin would keep at it until Virac accepted. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.